Father, we love you and we hunger for your word of life. Um, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us now to, um, to speak to us words that bring us to life, um, that give us hope. Um, and please teach us wisdom this morning and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so as you can probably hear, this will be a, a good day for my uh, Barry White impression. <laughs> so uh, excuse me if it's, if it's hard to hear me. Like Raise a hand if it's extra hard today and I'll try and speak up. Uh, it's been really a heck of a week for me. Uh, sad and stressful news has been pouring in from every direction. And it started off last Sunday with anxiety over that mass shooting in the Jacksonville landing. Uh, and since then, we've heard about a serious cancer diagnosis in our extended family, a family member who's counselling young people who are grieved by suicide, and some friends whose marriage is in crisis, among several other things. But even all of those sad and stressful things have been completely overshadowed this week by the news coming out of St. Peter's about the resignation of Eric Dudley. Um, and I'm not going to say anything about that here, um, but today is going to be available uh, after the service to members of this community to talk and process and answer questions and pray. Um, so um, he'll, he'll, he'll say more about that in the announcements. Um, but all of this sad, sad and stressful news can be gathered together under one heading, right? Chaos. This has just been a week full of chaos. There's chaos in the news and chaos in our own lives and chaos over truth and knowing what we ought to think, and in our case, chaos in our normal daily routines. Our whole lives have been thrown into confusion. So even on Friday, on my day off, I sought solace in the simple earthy task of doing some yard work. So I escaped outside to tend and order my own little plot of land. But even out there, it was no different. So I set about to tackle the new growth of weeds and vines along my fence line, which I had neglected for several months. And I went hard at it with shears and power tools. I even swung a saw like a machete. Um, but after two hours of intense labor, cutting, untangling, digging, and uprooting, I collapsed, exhausted, covered in bites and scratches, and uh, with the job only half finished. <laughs> so it was chaos out there too. So, here's my question. Where are we supposed to find peace and order? Where? When there's chaos in the news, in our homes, in our gardens, in our families, and even in the church. It was honestly hard for me to turn my attention to the task of preaching this week. Taylor, Taylor and I had agreed beforehand that I was going to bring you God's word from Proverbs chapter 8, after he kicked off our new series in Proverbs last week. And so as I sat down to study Proverbs 8, to my surprise, although I shouldn't have been surprised because it's God's word, I found help right here in this chapter for this very question, and even a hope strong enough to answer all of this chaos. So that's what I want to share with you this morning. Where are we supposed to find peace and order? Answer, we find it in the wisdom of God. And what hope does this wisdom bring us? It brings us three reasons to hope. Because through wisdom, God has created and ordered his world. Also through the same wisdom, God now creates and orders his people. And we ourselves can also be godly creators through this same wisdom. So those are the three things I want to show you this morning. 
And we're looking at Proverbs chapter 8. You can find it on page 532 of the Church Bibles. 532, Proverbs chapter 8. But Michelle read for us earlier. So the first lesson of Proverbs chapter 8 is that through wisdom, God created the world. So verses 22 and 23, we hear the personified voice of wisdom saying, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. And then as we read or listen to the following verses, 3 to 31, we hear unmistakably the echo of the language of the first chapter of Genesis, right? I'm sure you've heard that. Um, because what Proverbs 8 talks about is the beginning of the earth, in verse 23, the establishing of the heavens, in verse 27, a circle drawn on the face of the deep, in the same verse, and then the creation of the inhabited world, in verse 31. And if we've read Genesis chapter 1, we'll recognize all of that as creation language. So as we read Proverbs 8, we're meant to cast our minds back to the very beginning of the Bible when God said, let there be light. So now let's do that for a moment. Let's think back to what happened there at the beginning. God took nothing and he made something. He took a lump of nothing that was formless and void, that had no shape and no order and no life. And first of all, he formed it and then he filled it. So the opening words of the Bible are, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Formless and void. Those are negative words, and that is a description of chaos. That's chaos, formless and void. But during the six days of creation, God spent the first three days answering the problem of formlessness by creating form. He created distinct spaces. And then he spent the last three days answering the problem of emptiness by filling up those spaces. So here it goes. On day one, God distinguished light from darkness. Light over here, darkness over there. And he separated them. He drew a line between them and he named the two new spaces, day and night. On day two, God distinguished water from atmosphere. Water down here, atmosphere up there. He separated them. He drew a line between them, and he named the new space sky. And then on day three, God distinguished water from dry ground. Water over here, dry ground over here. He separated them. He drew a line between them, and he named the two new spaces, land and seas. So now there wasn't just a formless nothing anymore. There were distinct spaces, places that had names that could be distinguished from other places with different names. So the formlessness was now formed, but it was still void, still desolate and lifeless except for plant life. So in the remaining three days, God filled up the spaces he made one at a time. On day four, he filled up the spaces of day and night with the sun and the moon. On day five, he filled up the spaces of sky and water with the birds and the fish. And then on day six, he filled up the space of land with animals and with people. So in this way, formless and void became formed and inhabited. In this way, God brought order out of chaos, life out of death, and something out of nothing. And the way he did it is through these actions of separating, distinguishing, naming, 
and filling. And Proverbs shows us that the whole process was informed by wisdom. Wisdom was there beside him, like a master workman, as verse 30 says. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. So that's the first thing we see in Proverbs 8, that it was through wisdom that God created the world. And now second, it's through wisdom, the same wisdom, that God also creates his people. So um, the thing Sarah was alluding to in the children's sermon is an amazing use of language in Proverbs 8 that sparks a marvelous idea. So look at verse 29. It says that wisdom was there when God assigned the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. Um, and we have the background of Genesis 1 in our minds. So this is talking about the way God separated the water from the land on the third day of creation and drew his dividing line between them. So it's talking about coastlines, right? That's what it means by assigning the sea its limit. But the word that Proverbs uses for limit here, the Hebrew word, is chok. Can't say it. You can't hear it in my cold, but it's chok, um, which means uh, a boundary, uh, a limit, or a boundary line. But 75% of the time that this word is used in the Old Testament, it's translated a statute or an ordinance. Okay, so it shows up all over the place in the law of Moses. So here, for example, is Exodus 18, verse 20. It says, you shall warn them about the statutes, that's the Hebrew word, chok, and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So what Proverbs is saying here is that the word that God said to the ocean in creation to create coastlines is the same kind of word he now speaks to his people in his law. So God commanded seas so that they would know their limits and not overstep his command. And now he commands his people so that we would know our limits. Now, when God commanded the coastlines, we call that creation. So shouldn't we recognize that this same commanding word to us is also an act of creation? In the wilderness of Sinai, God created a people for himself. He took a lump of nothing, a crowd of men and women who were formless and void, and he gave them laws, and he formed them, and he filled them with life. He made their order out of chaos. He made something out of nothing. So the words he spoke to them in the law are the same kinds of words as when he said, let there be light. They're creative words. That's what Proverbs 8 means by using the word hope for the boundary of the sea. And that's the marvelous idea. And what it, what it means is that what we have in this big book, the Bible, and in, especially in this little book, Proverbs inside it, is the wisdom of God. So we have in our hands the kind of words that created the ground that we walk on and the kind of words that can create or recreate us as people. So those are some awesome words. Um, no wonder our chapter ends by saying in verse 34, blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me, find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves, and all those who hate me love death. So through wisdom, 
God creates life in us, just like he created it through, uh, throughout the earth in Genesis 1. So here in the book of Proverbs, we find wisdom, the sayings of the wise. But uh, if you've opened Proverbs, which I'm sure you have, uh, and read the sayings, uh, they start in chapter 10, where there's actual little Proverbs and sayings. Uh, we read them and we find them remarkably simple, don't we? So uh, I read these to my children. Uh, I read them and my children say, yeah, uh-huh, makes sense, yeah, I knew that already. Um, the Proverbs themselves don't seem very complicated. They're often surprisingly unprofound. Uh, you read them and sometimes you wonder, was this really the wisest man in the ancient world? Even I understand this stuff. Um, so here, for example, is the very first proverb. Flip ahead if you want to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, and see it for yourself. Um, it says, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. And that doesn't sound very complicated or profound. How can a little phrase like that contain the power to create the world? But isn't it actually doing the same kind of work that God did in Genesis 1? That little proverb is making a separation. It's drawing a boundary line. It's saying this over here and this over there. In this case, a wise son over here and a foolish son over there. It's making a proper distinction and giving each party its proper name, wise and foolish. And then it's given us a way to recognize each of those two sides, an attribute by which we can know the difference. Wisdom makes the people who know you and love you the most glad when they see it in you. And foolishness makes the people who know you and love you the most sorrowful when they see it in you. So now we say, aha, I recognize that. I know the difference. And we know which patterns of behavior to attribute to each side. And that little process that we've just been through together in this one little verse of God's word is a tiny little work of ordering. It has set our minds straight. It has called things by their true names and called things what they are. And so the wisdom of God just made a tiny little bit of progress recreating us. It drew us a step nearer to life. So it was through wisdom that God created the world, and it's through wisdom that God creates his people. And the final lesson is that we ourselves can now be godly creators through the same wisdom. So people who find wisdom aren't just recipients of its creative power. They also become creators of good things in imitation of God. So Proverbs 8 verse 14 says, Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me kings reign. And rulers issue decrees that are just. By me princes govern, and nobles, all who rule on earth. So think about it. When a good ruler governs with wisdom, doesn't that ruler create a more beautifully ordered world? Because just laws, justly upheld, provide walls of protection for communities and businesses to flourish in safety. And so a human leader who's being created and ordered by the wisdom of God goes on to create and order the world by that same wisdom. And we see the same thing in the book of Exodus, um, because it was by the wisdom of God that the artists Bezalel and Aholiab built the tabernacle according to God's perfect design. So God said in Exodus 31, I have filled them with the Spirit of God with wisdom and understanding with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs. So the same wisdom that creates peaceful nations also creates beautiful art. 
and many other good things in between. God's wisdom is creative. It produces order and beauty wherever it goes. It creates us, and it makes us creative. God has put the essence of his creative power, his ordering, life-giving power, into a box and wrapped it and handed it to us. It's here. The box is the Bible, and the gift inside is wisdom. It's a wisdom that comes to full flower in the New Testament, in the life, teaching, and death of Jesus, in the message that we call the gospel. So Paul wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. So this, then, I think is our hope for this week. The antidote to all this chaos is the wisdom of God. How can we practically receive this gift and make it useful in our present crisis? Well, first, I think we need to come to God and ask for his wisdom. That's something his word calls us to do over and over. Uh, We can come with the full assurance that this is the answer. This is what we need, God's words of life. Uh, That this is the gift that we need right now most of all. Uh, We can come asking with confidence that it's a gift God doesn't want to withhold from us, that he desperately wants to give us. He longs to give this to us. Wisdom promises in Proverbs 8, verse 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. This is not going to be an unrequited relationship. (laughs) If you love wisdom and go after it, wisdom will love you back. Um, Anyone who earnestly seeks this gift finds it. You don't have to be smart or skillful or talented or important. You just ask, and it's there for you. It's yours. James repeats the promise in the New Testament when he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. But then James adds, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that, uh, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So it's important that as we ask for this gift, that we ask properly, with pure motives, with faith in God, and with humility. Because this precious gift of God is not one that God is inclined to share with the proud arrogant. Wisdom says in Proverbs 8 verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. The gate to life is small and narrow, and only the humble find it. And this same verse brings up our second way of putting this teaching into practice. So first, ask God for wisdom, and he'll give it to you. Now second, turn your back on evil, and do what God commands because the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Um, Perhaps we can see from what we've talked about today that the words with which God has commanded us are the same words by which God has created us. So when he commanded us to love him and love our neighbor, he also created us by those words. He ordered us and made us something rather than nothing. And if we ignore his words or any of his other commands, then we choose to return to nothing. Because what we do is we erase the boundaries that God's given. We erase the very boundaries that give us life, and we vote in favor of chaos. We vote to return there, to formless and void. 
In other words, we choose by evil to be decreated, which is death. And such behavior is insanity, it's utter foolishness. How can we expect to receive the wisdom of God before we have turned our backs on evil? If we make any compromises with evil, if we allow sin to live in our hearts unchallenged in any way, we will soon experience personal disintegration, the unraveling of the sanity of our minds, and the loss of ability to draw a simple line and to give the things on each side of it their proper name. And soon truth will be entirely lost to us. A disordered, decreated person will never bring any good into the world. We will never be part of the solution that way, only part of the problem. Wisdom isn't about what you know, it's about how you live in light of what you know. So turn away from what you know is wrong, and turn to what you know God has commanded you to do. And finally, sink the anchor of your soul deeply into God's word. Read the Bible. No, seriously, read it. Um, if you've already read it, read it again. Because these words are our sanity. These words keep our hearts and minds rightly ordered. And think about it. Every day we all wake up and we read and listen to hundreds and thousands of other words. Words that may or may not be true and right. Words that draw the lines in all kinds of other places and give good and evil different names. Words that might sow in us confusion and chaos. How are we going to survive in this world of words if we're not feasting daily on a rich diet of these good words? If we're not reminding ourselves of the lines that God has drawn and the names that God has given. So last week Taylor called us as a community to take the Proverbs challenge and to read the whole book of wisdom, a chapter a day throughout the month of September. Today is only September 2nd, so if you haven't jumped on the train yet, it's not too late. Uh, it's easy to catch up, uh, and you can start. And I really call us to do that, uh, to join together as a community in taking this challenge. What a daily feast that would give our souls amidst all the present chaos. And what might God accomplish in this chaotic world through a community of saints his wisdom has created? Amen.